Amen. Amen. Thank you, Stephen and Choir, for that beautiful reminder. We do have a glorious hope, don't we? Well, uh, welcome again to you all. Uh, so grateful to worship the Lord with you. And so let's turn to the Lord uh, one more time in prayer and, and ask Him for a blessing this morning as we look to Him and desire to hear a word from heaven this morning. Lord, we come again to you confessing that we're needy, that we need you, Lord, and we need your help. I need your help, Lord. I pray that you would help us to seize your word, understand it, hear it, believe it, obey it, that through it, Lord, we may be changed into the husbands and wives you desire us to be, fathers and mothers you desire us to be, bosses and employees and church members, and the church, Lord, that you desire us to be. Help us, Lord, be amazed at your grace again this morning and to hold fast to the one and true gospel, our only hope and salvation. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, would you please turn to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. So today, uh, in our day, we live in a day of tolerance. That's a buzzword these days. And, um, of course, if you listen carefully to uh, those in... The movers and shakers in society, the news and 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 whatnot, you'll see that uh, tolerance is beloved until, of course, someone brings a belief to the table that they find intolerable, uh, and then, in the name of tolerance, they make it clear that you will not to- they will not tolerate your intolerance, uh, and will use social pressure, legal action, and legislative power to uh, suppress views contrary to their own, and and we see that happening. Uh, today. But of course, we as Americans find that rather frustrating, and I, and I suppose it is. But at the same time, I, we, I think it'd be helpful for us to understand that for the most of Christian history, Christians have lived in societies where they have by far been the minority and exerted very little social, uh, had very little social power. And so because we live in America, we find that frustrating because there was a time in America where Christian values did exert some social power, and you know, we kind of miss that, and that's, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but we do need to understand that um, most Christians, they're used to living in a society where their views are not tolerated. That's how Christianity has been for most of its existence. And so we shouldn't, we shouldn't um, get more frustrated or uh, angry about it than... Uh, then we need to be. God's still in control. And um, he's already won the victory, so we really don't have to be that concerned about it. Nevertheless, one of the views that is found most intolerable today is the Christian idea of the exclusivity of Christ. That is, that Jesus Christ is the only way that a person can become right with God and be saved from their sins. 
But we, but is often asked, well, how can that be true? How can Christ be the only way? Um, and we'll talk about that a little more later, but what we need to understand is this, is that just as there are, just as there are anything else that's re- real in this world, as just as there are physical realities, for example, there are spiritual realities. And God has chosen in his mercy that the solution to our sin would be the death, resurrection, of us and ascension of a man named Jesus Christ. And that one way of salvation, my friends, is one more way than we deserve. If the doctor says that the only treatment that can cure your term, terminal illness is this pill, you don't say, how intolerant of you. You say, my goodness, I'll sell everything I have. Just give me that pill. There is only one gospel, only one way to be saved. And what we see in Galatians is that to add or subtract from that gospel is to lose it. Paul, the Apostle Paul, gave himself, his whole being, his whole life to proclaiming, to making this one true gospel known. And he fought for it uh, to the very end of his life. And Paul, as we saw last week, he wrote this letter to the Galatians. Why? Because he wanted to beat the Galatians up? No, because he loved the Galatians and he saw that if they embraced something other than the pure gospel that he gave them, they would be lost. And the thought of them being lost was intolerable to him. And so he would do whatever it takes for them to maintain faith in the one true gospel. And so today we're going to dive deeper into this situation in Galatians and see what the Lord wants to show us. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week in Galatians chapter 1. And if, and if you have a Bible and are able and willing, would you please stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God as we begin in Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 6. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel Contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I still trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The word of God. You may be seated. There's three things I want us to see from our text today. Deserting the gospel of Christ. Distorting the gospel of Christ and serving the gospel of Christ. Distort, deserting the gospel of Christ, distorting the gospel of Christ and serving the gospel of Christ. First, deserting the gospel of Christ. In verse 6, Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul is amazed 
that the Galatians could so quickly turn away from what he had given them. They have been riveted and deceived by the teaching of these false uh, teachers, by these Judaizers. And there's something I want to note here. Paul, Paul he, he rebukes and condemns both the false teachers, but note here in verse 6 that he's also rebuking the Galatians. He is astonished. It's a subtle rebuke. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. In other words, yes, the false teachers will bear their blame for teaching uh, lies about the gospel. But nevertheless, Paul says that the Galatians still had a responsibility. They knew enough of the gospel. that They had been taught by the apostle Paul themselves such that they were accountable. They should not have turned away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why is this so important? Because today we live in a, uh, a culture that is very much a, a pass the buck kind of culture. We get it from our parents, by the way. Uh, Adam and Eve uh, broke God's command. God showed up, said, Adam, where are you? Did you... Did you eat the fruit that I told you not to eat? What did Adam say? Well, God, the woman that you gave to me, she gave me the fruit I ate it. God, God said to Eve, what, did you, what happened? And Eve said, the serpent deceived me. The old classic axiom, the devil made me do it. Well, what did God do? Well, he curses the he curses the Satan, there's no doubt about that, but he also curses Adam and Eve. Why? Because they knew better. And yes, yes, every person who sins against you, when we're sinned against, we are greatly tempted to sin in response. Yes, everyone who sins against you will get just retribution for God, but let me tell you, that doesn't put you off the hook for your own sins. And so part of Christian maturity is, is to stop passing the buck and say, it's because of this, it's because of this, it's because of this circumstance, it's because of this situation. Yes, God sees, God knows, and God understands those things, but still, you are responsible for your sin. And it's when we finally take responsibility for ourselves and come to God and stop blaming others and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's when you find God's grace. And Paul, he's astonished at the Galatians. They, sh- they shouldn't have turned away so quickly, but he's astonished they did. And, and part of Paul's astonishment is how it says how quickly they turned away. When you read this, it's hard not to think about um, the Israelites in Egypt. You remember, if you've read it before, it's, 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 it's almost, you just can't believe it. You're almost like, what's wrong with these people? They see God and he brings down uh, all the plagues of Egypt and, and water's turning to blood and, and gnats and frogs and flies are covering the land and there's, there's a, almost a tangible darkness over the land and, and then there's the striking of the firstborn and God does these miraculous things and then he, he splits the Red Sea and they walk through the Red Sea. And then not very long after that at all, Moses is up on the mountain. And Exodus 32, verse 7 and 8 says, The Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly. 
out of the way that I have commanded them. They had made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Moses turns his back for two seconds and they're worshipping a cow. And we look, at the, we look at the Israelites and we say, what's wrong with them? What's wrong with them? Are we, are we that much better? My goodness. What, what, what were the Israelites grumbling about? Well, we don't have enough food to eat. We don't have the meat we want to eat. We don't have the water we want to drink. That's what they were grumbling about. Listen, we're so in love with our creature comforts, we wouldn't have even made it halfway across the Red Sea. So we wanted to turn around and go back to Egypt. You know what I'm talking about? You're in the spirit on the Lord's day and you're driving to Sunday school because you're super spiritual and they pull out that, then it happens, that person, they pull out in front of you and then next thing you know, you whip around them and just in time for them to see your WWJD sticker on the back of your car. We are fickle people. Oh, that God would make us consistently holy. Consistently humble, consistently faithful. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. You feel it? Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Why did the Galatians turn so quickly? Well, we can uh, take an educated guess. What were happening, what was happening was that the Judaizers were coming, if you remember from last week, and they were promoting that old time Jewish religion. Oh yeah, Jesus is the Messiah, but a true Christian doesn't just believe in Christ. He must also be culturally Jewish. He must also be circumcised. He must also obey the law. It's not Jesus. Jesus alone is not enough. It's Jesus plus Judaism. And why most likely did the Galatians buy this? The answer is almost certainly this. is because they didn't know the, the teaching, the word of God well enough. They were not rooted in the scriptures well enough to refute the false teaching of the Judaizers. Now, we'd be tempted to give them an excuse because they didn't have easy access to Bibles like we do. We don't really have an excuse today. Nevertheless, they had an advantage, of, and that is they had the Apostle Paul who shared the gospel with them himself. But the point is, is that if they would have understood the scriptures, they would not have so quickly turned away. And I think it's true that many, many, many who turn away, it's because they're not rooted in the word of God. Jesus Jesus was very strong about this. Jesus, for example, when he was questioned on the resurrection by the Sadducees, and the Sadducees were trying to trap him, saying, you know, a man gets married to a woman, gets married to a man, and then that husband dies, and then she has seven husbands, and whose wife will she be at the resurrection, et cetera, et cetera. And Jesus, what does he re- how does he reply to the Sadducees? He says, uh, Matthew 22, uh, verse 29, he says, Jesus answered them, You are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, religious leaders, they were wrong. Why? Because they didn't know the scriptures. They, of all people, 
should have known who Jesus was, and they missed it. Why? Because they didn't know God's word. That is why, church, it is so important that we are rooted in the word of God. That's part of the reason uh, why uh, I thought it would be a great idea to, to go through as a church a, a daily a Bible reading. I post them on our Facebook group every day. I post them on, uh, they're on the back of your bulletin. So each week you can check a box because uh, it feels good to check a box, okay? Just whatever it takes to do, read the Word of God. Why? Because that's what good Christians do? No, because your, your soul is at stake. No one has to remind you to feed yourself. Why? Because it's necessary for life. And because sidetrack is really good. (laughs) Well, God says, my word is sweeter than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. It's, It's our food. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every man that Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Have you been living? Really living? Let me encourage you. Make daily Bible reading a part of your daily worship to God. And see what the Lord does in your life. Uh, Another thing let me encourage you to do is read good books. Lots of people, you graduate high school, you graduate college, and then... You know, you, you don't read another book for a long time. Find time to read good books. Don't read bad books. No one's got time for that, but read good books. Books about the Lord, books that are going to stir your faith in Christ. Another thing that is so important, which you guys know because you're here this morning, is being rooted in the Word of God is joining the people of God uh, together to, to study the Bible uh, together corporately. So we have, uh, let, so let me encourage you all, for example, to come to Sunday school on Sunday morning. Many of you do, but, you know, there's just something about the smaller group where we get to know each other better and we, we, ha- we have access to the Word of God in that way where we can discuss and talk. It's different than just hearing a sermon, and it's good, and we need both. And on Sunday nights, as well, it's another opportunity to hear the word of God. The point is, is that the understanding the scriptures, I'm not, I'm not here encouraging, I'm not here just trying to add another thing to your life. I'm not here just encouraging you to, 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 to be a good little Christian because that's what good Christians do. I'm here saying that this word is it's our life, it's our sustenance, it's, it's all that we have. It's God revealed to us. And so I'm pleading with you as a pastor for your eternal joy in Christ. Devote yourself to this book. The Galatians, they were deserting the gospel. They were quickly turning away, likely because they were not rooted well enough in the truth. And what specifically, though, does Paul say they were turning away from? Look in verse 6. It says, deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. Deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. What does that mean? Well, think about it. How are we saved? We're saved by pure grace. Grace is unmerited favor. So God saves us by completely 
uh, by grace. That is that we are not saved by or, or God did not choose to save us because we came from a specific ethnic or cultural background. That's what some Jews basically believed. Nor, nor are we saved because of where we live or the balance of our bank accounts or who we were related to or who we know. You'd be surprised the number of people who think that because their grandmother was a Christian, they're just fine. Nor are we even saved by our religious activity or church attendance or, yes, even Bible reading and, or a prayer life as much as I just plugged that. God does, not, God does not look down on specific individuals and say, my goodness, I need that person on my team. I'm going to save them. It's, it's actually the exact opposite. God looks down and sees people so pitiful, so helpless, so in desperate need of salvation. He says, I'm going to save the unsavable because then only then I can get the glory for it. And Paul says, and we must, that is, we must be saved precisely by grace. We must be saved by grace precisely because we cannot earn it and don't deserve it. That's why God in Christ, God, we do not add anything to our salvation like the Judaizer said. God does not require you to, to clean your act up before God comes to you. God, come, God came to us in Christ while we were filthy and dirty. He comes to the individual precisely exactly where you are, and he, he meets you where you are. He requires nothing of you. He just loves you too much to leave you where you are. So he asks nothing from you. He just comes, and when he comes, he changes you. And if Christ has entered into your life, you will be changed. To add circumcision or Judaism, or anything, our own works, to salvation is to try to add our work to the work of Christ. If you, if, to, to, to add anything to the gospel is, is, says either one of two things. One, it either says that Christ was, Christ's work wasn't enough, and that's a lie. Jesus Christ did everything necessary to save all who would believe in him on the cross. Or, to add to the gospel says, it says, well, then that, you're, that I'm not that bad. It says, well, I'm not really that bad. I don't need Jesus that much. I just, I just need him to help me out a little bit with the amount that I can't do for myself. But the Bible says we are dead in our trespasses and sin, that none is good, no one is righteous, no, not one. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. None is righteous, no, not one. And it says, and it says, by grace we have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we're saved by grace through faith as a gift. That's the beauty, that's the glory of salvation. It's free. But you have to recognize that you need it and receive it. The only problem. The biggest problem with grace is that it requires you to humble yourself. Why? Because only humble people will accept a gift. If you're too proud to acknowledge that you need it, you can't be saved. The only requirement of God's, of God's grace is to humble yourself enough to acknowledge that you need it. And when you call out to him by faith, he adopts you as a son. 
So first we see the Galatians deserting the gospel of Christ, as so often do we. But next, let us see this, distorting the gospel of Christ, distorting the gospel of Christ. Verses 7 through 9, Paul says, not that there is another one, that is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Note here what Paul is saying remarkably clearly. He told the Galatians they were deserting the grace of Christ to another gospel, but then he says, not that there is another one. In other words, there is only one gospel. And this is not the case, despite uh, what popular opinion says. Is Christians don't merely believe this because they're uh, bigoted and intolerant and just trying to be the most aggravating people in the world. That's not true. We believe it because that's what Jesus said was the case. John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4.12, Peter says there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, of course, we live in a day that, in which that rubs people really the wrong way. And a part of that reason is because we basically, culturally, we've been sold a bill of goods that basically says that when it comes to matters of religion and beliefs, that there is no real truth. And so, and so pretty much, there, so there's no reality. It's just whatever you want. But if you think about it, that actually doesn't make any sense. Because there's, it's, it's just logically impossible for all religions to be right. Because Christianity teaches something contradictory to Islam, contradictory to Buddhism, etc., etc. Two contradictory things cannot be true at the same time. That's just logic. It has nothing to do with religion. If Christianity is true, every other religion that teaches something contradictory to Christianity, by definition, is false. That's just the way it is. And so it's not just people being jerks just to be jerks. We're just saying that, we're just saying that if there is a spiritual reality, it is what it is, whether you want it to be or not. For example, if you jump out of an airplane and your parachute doesn't work, you don't want to believe in gravity. You just don't. And you will tell yourself, I don't believe in gravity. I don't believe in gravity. Gravity's not real. They just made it up. They're just, why does gravity have to only work one way and just go down, you know? Why? It's so intolerant. I don't believe in gravity. But if gravity's real, then you will face the consequences of it sooner or later. Christians don't, don't come to presume to say that, that, you know, it's not that we just want, it's not that we just, um, just think that it's right and just presenting it as one belief among many. We're just saying that there are spiritual realities just as there are physical realities. In other words, if Jesus Christ really came, really died, and really rose from the dead, then there's just one way of salvation. That's all there is to it. And whether we want to believe it or not, that's the way it is. And we're saying that that's reality. 
there is an in, just as gravity works, there is an inviolable spiritual law. The soul that sins shall die. The wages of sin is death. And you might not want to believe that, but if that is the way spiritual reality works, then you will have to face the reality of that one day. But God has come in Christ to pay the penalty for our sins on the cross, rising from the dead, conquering the penalty for sin, which is death, so that through Christ, you're, 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 the penalty for your sin is paid in him because he died for you and you died with him. So that now, the Bible says, that death has no dominion over you. Why? Because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is one gospel, one more than we deserve. And God has given it to us in Jesus Christ. And then Paul says that, he tells the Galatians, he says, There are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now think about what Paul's saying here. The word distort is a very strong, it's a strong word. And it's used in Greek oftentimes to denote strong contrast. For example, water changing to blood, fresh water changing to salt water, feasting changing to mourning. So when Paul says that they are distorting the gospel of Christ, what he's saying is that by adding circumcision to the gospel, that is not a superficial change. By adding circumcision to the gospel, they are making a, a, a fundamental change in the way a person is saved, which turns out that it's not a gospel at all. And notice the severity with which Paul condemns those who preach a false gospel. He is not saying that this is just some kind of, uh, you know, not, just a, not a big deal. He says, if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you. Let him be accursed. That word accursed is Greek anathema. It refers to final destruction. In other words, he's, Paul is doing no less than cursing them to hell. Why? Because, because those who would teach a false gospel... Again, think about what the Bible says about teachers and those who, 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 who lead others into sin. James says that those who teach will incur a greater judgment. Jesus said, if you cause one of these little ones to sin, it would be better for you that a millstone be tied around your neck and it be thrown into the depths of the sea. Jesus reserved his strongest words always for who? Religious teachers. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 13 and following, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Paul says, think about what he's saying. He told the Galatians, even if I 
come, can you imagine that? He says, even if I come later to you and preach something different than I preached to you at first, let me be cursed to hell. That's how, that's how, that's how confident and sure he was that he gave them the pure gospel and to pervert that is, is of the worst possible consequences. So Paul says, even if he himself came and preached a different gospel, which, by the way, just let me say something here. There are a lot of people in the Christian life who start off strong. And then as they get older, they walk away. And they teach false truths. So beware and hold fast to the truth of the gospel. And Paul says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Think about it. There, there are lots of false religions that have been started precisely because the person claimed to have a vision from an angel. Islam, Mormonism. When it, when, whenever Mormons come to my house, I oftentimes take them to this passage and say, Joseph Smith claimed to see an angel and he, you are teaching a gospel different than the one that the apostles taught. It's very clear. Woe to those who preach false gospels, Paul said. It's not, it's not a small thing. One, one false gospel very popular today is the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is, the, is a half-truth that says that if you, you know, follow Jesus and think positive thoughts, then he's going to make you healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. The problem with that is, yes, God does promise to bless us, but he doesn't always promise to bless us now. In other words, Jesus, who obeyed God more than anybody ever has, died homeless, and the only possession he owned was the shirt on his back. And all the apostles who were way more faithful than any of us were beheaded or crucified or something else like that because of their testimony for Jesus. And you think following Jesus is always going to be safe and make you blessed and rich and wealthy and prosperous? It may cost you your life. But let me tell you something. One day you'll be rich. Richer than you could ever possibly imagine. Jesus Christ died penniless. He owns it all. Everything belongs to him. Every knee will bow to him. He's at the throne. He's seated at, he'll be, he's seated at the throne at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And he appoints to whom he will everything that belongs to him. Beware of distorting in those who distort the gospel. So we see deserting the gospel of Christ, distorting the gospel of Christ, Christ finally serving the gospel of Christ. Verse 10, Paul says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. What is Paul trying to say? Well, if you think about it, well, he's defending himself. And so it, it, becomes a, it, it seems apparently that what is happening is that the Judaizers... Or to the Galatians are undermining Paul's motives. Because look, that's what he's saying. He's defending himself. He says, 
Am I seeking the approval of man? Am I trying to please man? In other words, the Judaizers were telling the Galatians, they were telling the Galatians that the only reason Paul didn't preach circumcision to you is because he's a man pleaser. They called the Apostle Paul a man pleaser. But think about it. It would sound, it would, it would be tempting to believe that, right? Why? Because by not preaching circumcision, of course, then if you're a Gentile, you don't have to be circumcised. That's pretty nice. Okay? But, so, it, it, so the Judaizers, and they, it appeared to them from their wrong view, and it was probably compelling to the Galatians that, that they were accusing Paul that Paul was being a man pleaser. But Paul comes along and he'll say later, he says, look, it's not me who's trying to please man. It's them who's trying to please man. Think about it. When Paul, when he traveled around uh, the Roman world proclaiming the gospel of Christ, he wasn't pleasing man because everywhere he went, he was almost killed. And who were the ones trying to kill him almost everywhere he went? The Jews. Almost everywhere he went, he went to the synagogue first, and almost without fail, the Jews rejected him. Then he went to the Gentiles, and the Jews would stir up some kind of crowd to try to kill him. But then these Judaizers come in, and what do they do? They're preaching circumcision. Well, why are they preaching circumcision? Why? Because if they can get a bunch of Gentiles to be circumcised, they can go back to Jerusalem and say, look at all the Jewish converts we made. In other words, they're trying to please the other Jews because if they get the Gentiles to accept Judaism and circumcision in addition to Christ, they can still fit in with their little circles back in Jerusalem. They're pleasing man. And Paul said, if I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You don't suffer the way the Apostle Paul suffered trying to please man. You don't endure the things that he endured. You don't, you don't proclaim the things that he proclaimed if you're just trying to tickle people's ears. If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Think about it. What's he saying? He's saying that the one you try to please is the one you serve. Put it another way. The one whose opinion you care about the most is your God. Beware of man-pleasing. And this is hard. This is really hard. It's almost impossible not to do anything without thinking about what other people are going to think about it. But why is it so important not to please man? Because it could cost you your soul. In John chapter 5, verses 43 and 44, Jesus said, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? In other words, if you seek the praise of men with your life, you can't believe. You don't believe. If you, at the root, if the thing that motivates you at the root of your life is what other people think of you rather than what God thinks of you, you cannot please God. John 12, 42 and 43. Nevertheless, 
Many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that came, comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Proverbs twenty nine twenty five says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Fear is a very strong motivator. It's very powerful. That's why it's only when you believe in a God who is greater, who is sovereign over all, does that give you the strength to overcome your fears and obey him. If you think about how much we are actually controlled by fear and perceptions of others, it's really shocking. I mean, you think about all the opportunities that we have to share our, God, uh, to share our faith, and we don't. Why? Because we're just simply scared of what someone's going to think about it. It keeps us from taking bold stands for Christ. But we, like Paul, must be free from ourselves and free from the opinions of man so that we can become servants of Christ. And let me tell you, when that happens, when you have those times and those moments in your life, it's free. You're free. Free from trying to constantly please and meet everyone's expectation, but free to serve God. Psalm 118.6, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So what do we do? We confess our fear of man. We ask for Uh, for fear and faith in God alone. And we go and act boldly and obediently because our God is on our side. So what have we seen today? Deserting the gospel of Christ, distorting the gospel of Christ, and serving the gospel of Christ. We desert when we aren't rooted strongly in the word. We distort when we dare to add our own works to the gospel of Christ And we serve God rightly as we should when we choose to please him above man. And as we conclude, I just want you to think about Jesus in relation to these three things. Jesus, who the Bible says is the second Adam, when he came, he was confronted by the false teaching of Satan himself in the wilderness. And rather than deserting the gospel of Christ, what did he do? He defended the the truth by what? By quoting scripture. It is written, it is written, it is written. Jesus withstood the temptation on our behalf. And then Jesus, when he was confronted by the distorted gospel of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, adding their tradition to the commandments of God, Jesus stood firm to the truth, saying, you don't understand the scriptures. And above all, In serving the gospel of Christ, above all, when Jesus Christ came and was tempted like no other person would, the devil said, I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth. The people during his ministry, they tried to take Jesus and make him king by force. And Jesus, despising the worldly acclaim of men, came to do the will of his father alone. And because Jesus did not desert the gospel or distort the gospel, but because he served it perfectly in every way, you and I have access to the free and unbridled grace of God. And so that's my invitation to this morning as we close. 
if you do not know the grace of God in Christ, is free. There's only one way, and it's free. And if you come and embrace the risen Lord by faith today, you can be adopted as a child of God and become part of his forever family and know the hope of eternal life. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your love for us, your kindness to us, your mercy toward us. You've given us, Lord, far more than we deserve. We thank you for the grace of God, which is totally and utterly free. And we praise you, Lord, for there's nothing we could do to earn it if we try. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace. And I pray, Lord, if there's any in this room today that has not received Christ by trusting in him for the forgiveness of their sins, I pray that your spirit would open their eyes today to receive you.